Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these ladies. I thank you, Lord, for Chris and for the work that she poured into this study. I thank you for everything that you poured into Chris for us to get to share and listen and and hear um, from her what she learned from you throughout these next 10 weeks. What a privilege and an honor it is to be in this group of women, to be able to be in this place, um, to worship um, together, and to be able to hear from you. I thank you for the opportunity to come Um, this morning and and be able to share what you've poured into me. I ask God that any words that are not your words, that you would just wipe them from my mouth. Um, I ask God that more than anything, I glorify you and and help me to remember that um, I am actually sharing to an audience of one, and that is you. And we thank you, Lord, and just ask God that you would be amongst us, that you'll watch over us and be with us today. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so just a, a little background on me. Um, for those of you that I have not met, I feel like anytime we get up here, we need to share a little bit about ourselves. Um, I ha- was a Bible study teacher. I came from Community Bible Studies, or CBS, where I got to serve for several years. And so I loved teaching, and it was something I did on a regular basis. Um, since I came to Rock Point, um, I have been serving in a little bit different capacity within women's studies and ministry. And so I do not teach very often, unless it's a situation like this where I'm kind of called in at the last minute. Um, So I definitely feel very rusty. (laughs) I will say that I was so happy to step in for Chris, but I was sweating it pretty good. Um, And then I settled in, but then true to form, um, our team calls um, Bible study week, it's Bible study week, because anytime we're approaching the first week of Bible study, it is like mayhem. The craziest things start happening. And so we know exactly who that is, entering in and throwing obstacles our way. And so it's a joke, but not a joke. We start almost keeping like a list of all the weird things that keep occurring as we approach Bible study. Um, this year, we had two, year, two weeks of it because Chris was out because that's why I had to cancel last week. We thought she'd be better by this week, but she wasn't. So we didn't realize what we were doing to ourselves, but we increased our level of uncomfortableness for two weeks. Um, I don't know if you all had obstacles thrown towards you about approaching this morning. If you didn't expect them, kind of laugh at that because you are going to have things that are get thrown at you on Wednesday mornings trying to get you from either getting on the computer to watch or getting here in person. Just know that that is absolutely the devil trying to get you off course and do not let him do that. Get here. As long as you have clothes on, you can come in. If you don't, I will come out to your car. We'll bring you something to put on. You can always, we have robes, we have things we can use. So please get here. Um, but some of the funny things that went on for me last week was I have um, a washer and dryer that had has been dying for a couple of years. It sounded like a 747 was in our laundry room whenever we went to the rent cycle. And so we were waiting for it to finally go and it finally went, it wasn't draining. And so I've been washing like small loads of clothes. I could hand wring them and then put them in the dryer. So we've been, we've been dressing very lightly. We were glad it was not totally cold. But I have like a favorite uniform. I don't know if any of you have like a uniform that you would never let anyone see you in that you wear. It had like Clorox stains on it. It was my cleaning outfit. It was like my uniform. Like every day I would put that on. It was not attractive in any way. I did have one shirt that I loved, but I had like my favorite bra, like favorite things. And so I wash them every day because my daughter plays sports and is in athletics in middle school. And I am so cheap. that I would not buy more than one of those expensive athletic outfits they have to wear in school that I would never spend that much money on clothes that she would wear normally. So I bought one outfit, which was ridiculous because now I wash that outfit every single night. So she has clean clothes the next day. So I just threw my, threw my uniform. So long story short, 
these washers and dryers were supposed to be delivered on Friday. I had a window of 12 to 6, and they came at 10.30, which would have been fine normally. I would never complain about delivery coming early, except that I was in the shower when they got there. And I had this plan. I was going to clean under the washer and dryer because we have dogs. So there was like rolling dog hair everywhere and get it all nice and clean, and that threw me off. Well, they were very nice. They waited put my new washer and dryer in the laundry room, took off the old ones. And it was about two hours later that I realized I never took my clothes out of the washer they took away. And it was my favorites. Like It was nothing that would matter to anyone else, but like it was my uniform, like my favorite things ever. I think my husband was actually really glad that they left because he was preferred me not to be wearing the outfit. But there are specific things in there that if I see them walking around town, there's no way anyone else has that shirt or those pants, I will know. Um, but my mom said, Lauren, just call them and ask them to bring them back. I was like, mother, I have, I'm not. <laughs> Calling and telling Best Buy what I have done, that I will like, I'll be the story they're telling for like six months on top of the fact I am convinced it's at the dump at this point. Um, but from that movement, at two hours later, I heard our dogs barking and our fence had blown over and all that crazy wind on Friday. Um, and then our toilet went out like two hours later. And then my mom went home and her oven went out. She caught whatever was at my house. So like, it was just like this crazy weekend. So just all that to say is, if you think any of our team leads an easy, perfect life, let me assure you, that is not true. <laughs> There's nothing about it that's easy. We are in the same boat that you all are in. We have all the same worries, the same concerns, the same things that get thrown at us, the same areas that we struggle with. We just get to serve in a different way. But all the things that we're gonna be going through as we study together over the next 10 weeks resonate with us just as much as it's gonna resonate with you. We don't have all the answers, but we do completely love and follow Jesus Christ. And so it is our pleasure and honor to get to be here amongst you all and serve uh, alongside you and learn with you. Um, so as we get started, I want to um, share with you that this, if you didn't know, what we leave is a legacy and, and we're gonna be studying for the next five weeks, the legacy of Moses. And, and the legacy of Moses, we feel like is trust. Um, from the time that Moses was knitted in his mother's womb, that trust, idea, that trust legacy was being developed by God. So before we get into a little bit of an overview about Moses um, and where we're going, I wanted to give you some backstory on Moses. Many of you probably are familiar with Moses. You've heard about the burning bush and about the waters parting, but some of you may not be familiar with the background. So before we go forward, I wanted to give you some of the backstory about what's going on in Moses' world before he's even born so you can understand kind of where God is going and the miraculous ways he's gonna work when you know where it came from. If you're familiar with Exodus, which is where we're gonna spend most of our time over the next 10 weeks. We will jump around a little bit, but we're gonna be mainly in Exodus. It's the second book of the Bible. First book is Genesis. And so when Genesis ends, Joseph and his descendants have basically all died. Exodus is gonna pick up basically where Genesis ends. But by the time we get to Exodus 1.8, which is very, fairly quickly, about 300 years have gone by. And so at that point, there is a new king uh, in Egypt and it's Pharaoh and he had no, um, he had no fondness for Joseph. He, there was no commonality. There was no awareness of, of how special Joseph was or about, there was, no, there was no friendship. And so all he sees is this group of people, these Israelites that are spreading and, and developing and taking over the area and becoming a nuisance in his mind because there's too many of them. So if you open up your Bibles, we're gonna read about kind of where God's gonna kind of set the stage for us about Moses. And we're gonna start off in Exodus 1, 6. Um, I'm actually reading from a Holman Bible today, but as you study in your word, um, you'll notice that you can use any version of the word that you want. We typically teach from the ESV, um, but we also like, I personally like the New Living Translation. You might see the message pop up, um, ESV. So 
I'm, I'm particularly teaching today from my Holman Study Bible, but you can access any of those versions for free on BibleGateway.com, BibleHub.com. All of those uh, resources are in your book that you can go and you can click any translation and any verse. And that's a free, quick way to go look at verses in different translations. But we're gonna be in that particular book today. So Exodus 1.6 says this, then Joseph and all of his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful, increased rapidly, multiplied, and became extremely numerous so that the land was filled with them. So the background here is God made a promise to Abraham back in Genesis that his descendants would flourish. And that's what we're seeing happen. So God has kept his promise. So, but the growing number had not gone unnoticed by Pharaoh. So in Exodus 1.8, you'll see here it says, a new king who had not known Joseph, so time has transpired here, came to power in Egypt. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we are. In verse 10, let us deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise they will multiply further. And if war breaks out, they may join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. The Israelites were then treated horribly. Verse 13 says this, that they worked the Israelites ruthlessly and made their lives bitter with difficult labor and brick and mortar and in all kinds of field work. So outside in the heat and the elements, they were ruthlessly imposed all of this work on them. But God, but God, despite all these obstacles, all these things that were meant to to diminish and, and stop them from progressing, But God, despite this treatment, the Israelites continued to multiply and to grow. That Pharaoh's oppression against that growth was not working. It was doing the exact opposite. So what did he do? He became more evil. He instructed Hebrew midwives to then, as they were attending births, if it was a a female baby, they could let the baby live. But if it was a male baby, that he wanted them to kill these babies. So that's a whole nother level of evil. Luckily, the midwives feared God more than they feared their earthly king and they deceived him. They did not do that. And when he questioned them as to why, this was funny, their response was, is that the Hebrew women gave birth so quickly, like they were, they were, they were, they were all star. Unlike Egyptian women, they just couldn't get there in time. Before they got there, everything was done. They weren't getting called, which I thought was brilliant. And so what he did instead is instead of just instructing the midwives, he then told all his people, all his people, that any Hebrew baby boy that was born was to be killed, was to be thrown in the Nile and drowned. So all that sets the stage for this, now here comes baby Moses. So baby Moses is not being born into this loving, warm, accepting environment. He's being born into a horrific time frame, And it makes me think about Moses's parents and what his mother must have been feeling as she carried these, this baby, not knowing if it was a boy or a girl for nine months, not knowing what was coming. She gives birth to Moses and they keep him safe for three months. He was three months old. They were able to hide him and conceal him for three months. So they've carried this, she's carried this baby boy, given birth to him, I'm assuming alone, with no painkillers, no air conditioning, no clean area, nothing. She get, takes care of this baby, which for anyone that's been around an infant, trying to hide an infant for three months, that would be extremely difficult. Um, she's kept this infant safe and they've made the decision that they've got to do something. They can no longer conceal him. So she makes the very difficult decision to, to take a basket. She treats the basket to make it waterproof and she places her precious baby boy in the basket and puts him into the water. The same water that was supposed to be the receptacle to, to t- take life from all these baby boys, she places him in a waterproof basket and sets him amongst the weeds and trusts God to take over. 
What we didn't know is that his sister, Miriam, who's a little bit older, is watching all this transpire. It makes me think about the incredible faith that had to be impressed upon Miriam as she watched her parents go through this. She watched her parents have this baby boy, knowing what was going on in the community they were raised, being raised in. She watched him, probably helped conceal him. And then they, she watched her mother put together this basket, place her baby brother in this basket and put him in the water no, no, with no one knowing what was gonna do. And that was all an act of faith. That was all an act of trust that God was gonna move in some way. There was no plan. It was just take care of it, God. That was a safer place for him. So little did they know about that time frame as the baby you know, floated around, Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe at the Nile. So as she was bathing, she notices this basket. Now we read later on that when she opens the basket, the baby, baby Moses was crying. So I don't know if she, he heard, she heard him crying or if she just saw him, but lo and behold, she has, has the basket retrieved, opens the basket up and notices this baby crying. About that time, Miriam, Moses' sister, who's watching all this transpire, runs up to Pharaoh's daughter and offers to go find a Hebrew mother, a wet nurse, to come and take care of this baby. And Pharaoh's daughter agrees. And not only does she agree, she says, let her know I'll pay her for her time. So here's the cool thing that God does in the way he weaves. Out of the act of obedience and the act of trust, what he has done now is he's gifted them with the safety of making sure this baby is kept safe. On top of, she's gonna get to now take care of her own son and she's gonna be paid for that. I will say that when I was nursing, I loved that. And I would have loved to have taken a gift card or some wages. Like that would have been totally fine with me. As beautiful as that was, I would have been happy to have received a wage for all of that nursing. That would have been great. So I love that only God, his infinite provision and humor would have taken this baby who at one point in that day, they were fearful for his life. Now he's gonna be growing up in a palace, a place of luxury, being raised by his mom, taken care of by his own mom without Pharaoh knowing. And Pharaoh's money is going to be paying her to take care of this baby that he deemed to be dead. Only God. And it's amazing to me the trust and the faith that this girl Miriam had to move that quickly. That's God. To move, to have the wherewithal to go and, and offer up a wet nurse and to go find one and go get her own mother. That's amazing. But it also makes me think about Pharaoh's daughter, that she had been given a spirit of empathy, that she felt sorry for this baby and decided to, come, to bring this baby, make sure it was taken care of. And at one point, Moses is given, when, she's old, when he's older, to Pharaoh's daughter and she accepts him as her son and she is who names him Moses. Um, we read that she names him Moses because for her that meant bring him up out of the water. So all this is to say is as we look back and see how Moses' life began, it began with trust. It began with as they carried this baby and waited for him to be born, they trusted that whether it was a boy or a girl, God was gonna take care of it. When he took his first breath, they decided they were gonna keep this baby safe as long as they could, and they trusted that God was gonna take care of it. And then when they knew they'd reached a point that something had to be done, they placed this baby in a basket, placed him in the water and trusted that God was gonna take care of it. And all along the way, God has taken care of it. And in the midst of this, God had placed Moses in the royal palace where he had access to the best education, to the opulence and safety net of this palace and living in a situation that he would have never been exposed to prior to. He also learns about who will be his new foe. He learns about Pharaoh. He learns about how he works. He learns his personality. He learns what his lifestyle is like because eventually unbeknownst to Moses, he'll be approaching him later on and doing God's work and talking to him and dealing with him. And he will have some bandwidth as to who 
Pharaoh is and how he works. Those are all provisions that God has woven into Moses' life because he knows his will will be done, that he is gonna work through Moses to accomplish what he wants to protect his people because he promised Abraham he would. So as we move along, there's some cool things I saw here. Anytime that we study the word, and, and I will, you all have probably heard me say this if you've been in our studies, you know, a lot of times people think, well, I've already studied Genesis, or I've already studied Psalms, or I've already studied Revelations. I don't need to study that again. I love to restudy what I've already studied before because not every time, but the majority of the time, the Lord will always show me something new that I have not seen before. I can read something that I've read 30 times and that moment where I see something I've never seen before, where God reveals something about himself or some, something that I've never understood, those are those moments that I feel like he is tangibly like hugging me. It is the best thing in the world. And I will tell you, you will enjoy your study. You will have a sweet, quiet time, regardless if you do this or not. But if you will simply pray before you study God's word, a simple prayer just to help reveal what he wants you to understand, you will, your quiet time will be so much more rich. You will enjoy it so much. You will get so much more out of it. It seems so simple, but it makes a massive difference before you study and do your homework if you will pray before you start. If you have not done that, I urge you to try it and see what God reveals. And so as I studied this text, I kind of felt like, well, what are we gonna see here, Lord? Show me something I haven't seen. Let me show you what I saw. And it's so perfect for uh, as we begin women's studies because we are gonna be studying about Moses and about God and what God did through Moses. And there's lots of great things to, lean, to learn there. And there's so much to unpack in the study we're gonna cover. There's no way we could ever cover everything we should or would want to in five weeks. So we're just gonna skim the surface and reveal what God's revealed to us to share. But for me in this day, when I was looking at this, what I noticed was something I'd never noticed before. And it wasn't just how awesome God is or how incredible what he did through Moses. What I saw was what he did with the women in the beginning that had a place in the life of Moses. What I saw was this incredible weaving and yoking of these women who never probably knew how they had these massive roles to play in the life of Moses. From the very early stages when his mother birthed and and took care of this baby, his mother had trust and gave him a great foundation and did what was right by him by placing him in the water and taking the chance that God was going to move and take care of him. It was a sacrifice on her part for her son to go and live in a palace, not under her roof, even though she was taking care of him. But that was a trust. That's one woman. The second thing was even before her was the midwives who defied the earthly king who could have absolutely punished them with all kinds of horrible, horrible things. They chose to follow God who they feared more and defy and lie their Pharaoh, the king, and save these babies because they knew that was a way to glorify God better by not murdering these innocent babies. That took huge trust that God would act on their behalf and take care of them. Regardless of what they might get in return, they did the right thing. The next person is Miriam, this young girl who got to watch her parents act in faith and trust, taking care of her baby brother. The impact that could have made on her life, we'll never know, but I'm sure it was huge. But the fact that this young girl acted in the way she did, watching this, and then approached Pharaoh's daughter, royalty, and asked her to basically allow her to go and fetch someone of her own choosing to come and take care of this baby boy, that's a huge step of faith and trust, and even a young female. And even with that said, 
Pharaoh's daughter, which we don't know a lot about her, but the fact that she acted in the way she did by saving this baby boy, making sure the lady taking care of him was paid well and paid and taken care of, and then accepting this child as her own and naming him later on. These women acted in a way that God moved in them to, make, to establish a, a start for Moses' life that was unparalleled in an act of faith in a time frame where women maybe didn't do those kind of things for each other. They maybe had no idea what the other one ever did, but God used this group of women that trusted in him to move in a mighty way so that he could accomplish what he had already started. That is huge. And I love that as we look at that, because typically I looked at this and I was expecting for God to reveal some amazing things about Moses, which he did. But where he focused me in was, don't lose fact of the other people that were in play here. Don't lose fact that I use everyone whether they know I'm using them or not, I use everyone to accomplish my plan. And I will speak to everyone and maybe in a different and intimate and unique way, but everyone is part of my family. I will use everyone. And it's a reminder that regardless of where you're at, regardless of what's going on, God will use you if you allow him to, to accomplish his purposes, but also the purposes he has in your life. And it's a huge reminder. It was like a love hug to me um, that regardless of the things I don't know or don't understand, if I will just trust that he knows better and move, or act when the spirit tells me to. Um, I can trust him and, and be at peace because I know God is in control. These women were amazing. And, and they're a reminder to me that, that regardless of your age, regardless of your experience, regardless of where you're at in life, God can use you in a mighty way. So Moses' life was quite literally from the moment he took his first breath as a baby boy, a legacy of trust. And as we continue to study about Moses, what we're gonna see is he, he does make some pretty significant mistakes. There is some, some times that he does some great things, but he also messes up. He has to learn from his mistakes. He has to be um, taught by God some of the things he needs to know, but he becomes a mighty leader, a mighty servant that is used by God to do some incredible things. But it doesn't mean he had it figured out all the way. It means he, he had to depend on God in different ways throughout his life and absorb the lessons and the guidance from, from our father as he moved. What we'll see is in, in Exodus 2.11, if you wanna skip ahead, we see one of the, one of the pivotal moments that um, Moses um, makes a choice that will change the directory of what he thought he was going to be doing for his life. In Exodus 2.11, we see that it says years later, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people. So we are told in the text that at some point, Moses recognizes that the Israelites are his people. So he has recognized that he's, di- he's different from those that he's living in the palace with. He went out to his own people and observed their forced labor. So he's sitting in the palace and he's watching his people work and be slaves and be treated horribly. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Looking all around and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian dead and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting and he asked the one the wrong, why are you attacking your neighbor? The man responded, who made you a leader and a judge over us? Are you planning to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses became afraid and thought, what I did is certainly known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Now, Midian is where you'll pick up next week. But as we approach next week, what you need to know is Midian is um, barren. It's it's hot, it's desert, it's it's wildernessy. So he has left his life of opulence where there was probably no want or need for anything. And his life has starkly changed. He went from living under Pharaoh's roof in his palace, probably with everything he could ever want at his disposal, to running for his life and being hunted by the man 
who he was living with just days prior. Now he is alone with no one and nothing and no idea where he's going. He's just running. He's trying to keep himself alive and he's in total fear, but God. And you'll get to read about that next week. He had encountered, but Moses had encountered an incredible lifestyle change and God is gonna use that. But what I noticed in here is that, um, is one, a quote from D.L. Moody, which helped me kind of hone down where God was telling me. But here, I wanna share this with you. D.L. Moody says this, that Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody, it's true, He spent his second 40 years learning he was a nobody and he spent his third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. Discovering what God can do with a nobody. Well, as we approach this, his time in Midian, um, I noticed that as we talk about being in the wilderness, which is definitely where he's gonna feel like he is, Wilderness can be ascribed in many ways. It's kind of exactly what you would think of. Wilderness is gonna be somewhere that you feel like you are alone, that you are on your own, that you don't have anywhere or anything that feels familiar or makes you feel safe or comfortable. Um, and, And that is where he is. But that is often where we are when God speaks the most boldly to us because that is when we have to depend on him. And that's where Moses is at. Moses is gonna get a new lifestyle change. And the the provision that will happen here is that he's gonna get to hear from God in a mighty way because God has changed his circumstances. Sometimes when God changes our circumstances for what looks like an earthly view for a negative, it's actually where God is going to supply the positive. You know, when we look at Moses' story, it would be easy to say that he was, that his, his lifestyle has changed in the sense that he's in a worse spot, that he was you know, not being delivered from something that was evil, but That isn't how I see it at all. The way I see it is that even though that palace that he lived in had incredible wealth and all the things that would make earthly life feel comfortable and safe, that's how it looked on the outside, like the gilded cage. But on the inside, it was a place that was void of God. It was a void of faith. It was a void of morals. It was void of anything that would be holy in the sense of of somewhere you would want to be. Moses was in a better place being in the wilderness by himself than he was in that palace because that palace was void of God. Being by himself in the desert with nothing, he was delivered from that palace. But from an earthly point of view, it could look like the opposite. I saw a picture online recently that, that kind of helped me put this together. It was a picture of an, of an apple and it was perfect. It was like the most beautiful apple you've ever seen. And the whole caption was that life is not always what it seems like on the outside or to someone looking through a lens or at a picture or on social media. Because then this, the, they turned the, the camera and there was a, a um, mirror behind the apple. On the other side of this apple that you couldn't see, it was rotten because a huge bite had been taken out of it. And it was starting to wilt and pull and get gross and mealy and all that stuff. But on the front side of the apple, without the mirror behind it, all you saw was the perfect, beautiful side of the apple. It looked like the most perfect apple you could ever take a bite out of. But if you just switch and you saw with the mirror, the other side, you can see the apple was totally rotten. It was not good for eating. It was not all that looked on the, on the front side. That is so much how our lens sometimes looks in this world, that everything looks great on the outside. Your circumstances look great, but really what matters is not. What's internal is, 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 is rotting. And so we are sometimes brought to these places, these wildernesses of our own, because that is where God clears out all the junk that they could be getting it as an obstacle in front of us from hearing clearly from the Lord and what he wants to do in our life. And that is where we learn to depend totally on him. In my life, I have had incredible moments with the Lord where he has 
poured truth into me and cleared up a lot of junk and, and loved on me and, and stretched me. But I will tell you that what I've noticed as I look backwards and see where God has woven, my times of great faith stretch were not in the moments where I was happy and things were great. They were in the moments where I was on my knees begging God for a miracle, begging for him to intervene, not knowing which way we were headed, not knowing why something was happening. Those moments where I was in a posture of calling out to God and totally engrossed in his word and leaning on him for every breath, that is where my faith really increased. That is where I got to know God in a way that you can't get to know the Lord unless you're brought to those places. And so I try to remind myself of that when I enter into seasons of wilderness, which everyone has them. I have some going on right now where I'm waiting. And I try to remind myself that just because it's uncomfortable, just because there's unknowns does not mean God is not there. It doesn't mean it's void of God. That's exactly where God is. We have to wait on his timing. There's a level of trust knowing that he is always faithful, that he is always present. He is always in control. So as we study the rest of the semester, you're gonna see God, that Moses is gonna have some awesome encounters, awesome encounters that I can't wait for us to unpack together. Um, he's gonna realize that his moment of uncomfortableness is a moment of development for him. That often your place or moment of development is often uncomfortable. It can be disorienting, it can be unfamiliar, it can be very wilderness-like, but that is where God works sometimes in the, in the most incredible ways. Um, Pastor Tony Evans says that the place of development is often where God establishes himself as the center point of your life. That the place of development is often where God establishes himself as the center point in your life. The place of development might be a time where God removes any and all positive or negative obstacles that stand before you hear, clearly hearing from him about what he wants you to know or the direction he wants you to take. God continues to intervene on behalf of his people throughout Moses' life, just as he continues to do so now. So as you study, one thing I want you, if you walk away from anything today, one of the things I want you to walk away um, from today, remembering and knowing is that you're gonna read about this incredible things that God does through Moses' life. It's, it will bring you to your knees in awe of what he will do. But what you need to remember is the same God that did those things in Moses' life is the same God we have now. Nothing has changed. It's just a different time in history. But when you read about the incredible way that God moves in Moses' life and in the lives of the people, remember that that same God is who we serve and who we love now. Nothing has changed. He's unchangeable. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. That is who we serve now. And that is amazing. That is a gift in itself. God can orchestrate and make the impossible and make it possible that he can surprise you and do things you've never would have thought he would do, that he would never yoke, that he'd never prepare. Um, and he can also can show up in ways that you just, you didn't realize. One of my favorite things to, to talk about is that, you know, I love to see the Lord answer prayers, but I also love that there's prayers that we have not prayed yet that he's already working on answering. He already knows where he's taking us and what we're gonna need. I've been the, the fortunate recipient of God working in my life and, and being the, re, the recipient of several miracles. But to get a miracle, typically, you have to be in a place of needing a miracle. The back end of that is not a fun experience. Being in a place of needing God to act in a miraculous way is not one that you particularly would always choose. But then to see God act on your behalf and answer those miracles, which he does, not always, but he does, that is amazing. And those are the things that we wanna share and shoot into people's lives and remind them of who God is and how he works. And that prayer is powerful. So his ways are not our ways, we know that, but he's always good, he's always faithful, and he's always trustworthy. Cannot wait to see what he shows you all this semester. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you um, that we can um, 
settle into the, your words, that we can trust them, that we can come to you anytime, that you are always available, that you are always trustworthy and you are faithful. We thank you, Lord, for preparing our hearts for whatever it is we're each going to receive over these next 10 weeks. I ask God that you would divinely work in each one of these ladies' lives, that you would protect them, watch over them, be with them, guide their studies. Um, we ask God that you would intimately talk to each of them one-on-one where they know that you are present and you are working in their lives. We thank you for the divine humbling opportunity it is to walk alongside you and be a part of this study. Uh, we ask God that you will bless it and bless the next 10 weeks. Bless the families that are represented in this room. Uh, we thank you, Lord, and ask that we will glorify you in all that we say and do. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.